for us leads us beautifully into this morning and into uh, a new series that we're going to be in for, for, many, for most of these weeks in, in Advent as she sings about this, this coming of Emmanuel. And the, the sermon series that will begin today, I've called For Unto Us Is Born. And it echoes the words of, of the prophet Isaiah, for, for unto us is born a child. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It echoes the, the words of the angels to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and I've highlighted the word us because we celebrate, the heart of our celebration of Christmas is not the gifts that we give or what's wrapped under a tree or all those other wonderful celebrations around Christmas. But the heart for us is what God has given to us in Christ. For, for, the heart for us is what, what God has done for us in the birth of, of Jesus in the life and death and resurrection of, of Christ. And so each week that we're in this series, we're going to look at, at those gifts. And, and they'll mimic in a lot of ways the, the, the themes of each of the candles. Because what we are given through faith, what we are given in the birth of Christ, in the gift of Christ, is hope. What we are given is peace. What we are given is love. What we are given is joy. And so we're going to reflect on each of those truths as we journey together toward the celebration of Christmas morning. So, today we talk about hope. And we talk about hope with this opening reflection. Has God ever asked you to do something? Have you ever felt God's call in your life moving you to do something that is absolutely crazy. Crazy. Now, I'm not asking you, have you done something that's crazy? <laughs> We've all done something that's crazy. I, I was reflecting this week, my brother-in-law, because we were together for, for Thanksgiving, and years ago when we had a chance as a family to go to Hawaii, and we were standing on, um, when I say cliffs, they weren't real high, but they were rocky edges of the Pacific on one of the islands, and I think we were on Kauai, and, and we're standing there, and we're both like, you know, we've never swam in the Pacific. So we decided this is a good time, and we jumped in. That was crazy. You know why it was crazy? We had no idea how we were getting out. That wasn't well thought out. And so we're in the washing machine of the waters crashing in, and we use the Gulf of Mexico water, and the Pacific is very, very different, and it's cold. Um, but anyway, crazy. I mean, we, have, we could go all day with crazy, but I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about something you felt God was calling you to do. It just seemed crazy, at least to others. It's, it's the person who leaves to go to another country to serve the Lord in some way. The missionaries. Missionaries are always seemed as crazy. I, I, I um, remember a sermon years ago that uh, Erwin McManus preached, and he talked about uh, he was on the board of a, of a seminary somewhere, and they were talking about how they wanted to make sure that their, um, that their missionaries got mental health, men, mental health counseling so that they were, that they were healthy. And he said, no, don't do that, because if you make them healthy, they're never going to go. We need them crazy, right? Because that's crazy what they're called to do, and, and to go to another land where they don't know the customs, and they don't know the language, and to learn it to, to tell people about Jesus. That's, that's seemingly to others crazy. Or, or the family that's already got a full household that adopts a child 
to give him or her a home. This morning, when I use that as an example, Anna Jarvis, if you know Anna, is sitting right here, and she went, yep, that's me. Crazy, because if you know Anna, she's got a house full of kids, and she's always making room for another one, she and Steve. And so, crazy. Or, or the, the person that's feel called to leave the solid job to go and to, to do something else and to follow another, follow another calling. Crazy. There's times that God calls us to do crazy things. The scripture are full of men and women God does this to. God calls his children so often to do crazy things. And if we just spent time together and just started to walk through the Bible, we would just find story after story after story. Genesis to Revelation. Stories of, of uh, God's call upon Abraham. And he says, I want you to move. You're in a good foundation place. Everything's good. I want you to move, but I'm not giving you a forwarding address. It's crazy. Moses, who's living in exile, you know, tending, you know, tending flocks and herds and, and uh, uh, comes to a burning bush. And God says, Moses, I want you to go back to the land that you fled. I want you to go back to the place where you are a fugitive. And I want you to stand before the Pharaoh, the most powerful man possibly in the world. And I want you to demand the, the release of my people. I mean, that's nuts. That's nuts. Deborah, who's called to lead a nation that isn't used to having a woman lead. Or David, who's a shepherd boy, who's anointed to not only be king, but to stand in front of a military giant with a sling and a stone. Jeremiah, who's a boy, who's called to be a prophet. Peter, James, and John, who are, who are fishermen, who are called to be disciples. Paul, who's a persecutor of the church, who's called to be the most influential voice, voice to shape the church. I mean, Story after story that's just crazy. And the question is, do we believe then, those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, those of us who have said, you are Lord, do we believe that, that we're exempt from the craziness of God's call upon our lives? The uncertainty that comes with God's call upon our lives. The challenges that come with God's call upon our lives. And of course, the answer is no, we're not. And so, how do we process that? How do we begin to make sense of, of those moments in our lives when it seems like the voice of God is speaking and we're not really sure that we like what's being said? Well, I think the prototype for us, the, the great example of all those examples, the greatest, is Mary. Is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we read part of her story this morning in Luke chapter 1. And this is really the, the encounter that, that sets the wheels in motion, the trajectory for the rest of the life of this young girl. And so we pick up there in the gospel at the very first chapter, verse 26. And this is what we read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the this power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us through this powerful story. Speak to us through the words here that I pray that are of your Holy Spirit. Speak to open hearts and shape us in faith and hope through Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray it in his name. Amen. Mary's story is crazy. And I don't mean just this moment of the story. I mean, if you think about it from a wide-angle lens, the trajectory of her life from this point through the rest of her life, it's crazy. The angel appears to her here and says, Mary, you are with child. Now, here's the problem, as Mary points out. She's with child, but she's never been with a man. So, so that in of itself is beyond comprehension. And the angel basically, and the expectation upon her is that she's going to give birth to this child. She's going to name him Jesus. She's going to realize that this is the Son of God. That's her call, is to raise this child. Let that sit on you for a moment. Called to raise this child, which is the Son of God, the one that's been promised. So she's called to, to realize that. She's called to nurture him, to love him, to raise him, and then to release him as an adult to his ministry, to release him into the calling for which he was sent. But not only that, she raises, she releases, and then she watches her son die. She watches him die. And in the aftermath of his death and his suffering and his resurrection, she then is called to submit her life in faith to the child she birthed and the boy that she nurtured and the son that she released and the Savior that was resurrected. She's called to submit her, lives, her life in faith to that. I mean, just let that, that trajectory of life just kind of sit on you for a moment. I mean, that's... As crazy a story as we, we couldn't imagine that. And it begins, at least Mary's part of the story begins here with this appearance of Gabriel, with this announcement. And our temptation is to think that this is where her story and this is where this story begins. But the reality is, the truth is, that, that this story began way before Mary stepped onto the scene. In fact, if you want to go to the beginning of this story, we're not turning to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, but we're going to Genesis. Chapter 3. And this is where we find the roots of this truth of God. 
Because in Genesis chapter 3, we find ourselves on the heel of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. I know many of you know the story, but the the six days of creation and the day of rest have happened. And God has created Adam and Eve in God's image and, and has given them dominion and authority over all the creatures of the earth. And they've been placed in this garden and they're in this perfect relationship with God. And they only have one rule. Don't eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And like children with their parents, they do the one thing they're told not to do. Every parent, every grandparent, every caregiver knows what this feels like. To have your child do the one thing you told them not to do. And you know what? All of our parents and our grandparents and our caregivers know what that feels like because we did it too. And so they eat from the tree. Sin enters through their disobedience, through their willful disobedience. And in the aftermath of that, the story begins at least for Adam and Eve to crumble. Sin and suffering, death and and anguish begin to enter into the scene. This is the lowest and the most hopeless moment in their very um, short existence, if you will. And just when it seems that all hope is lost, God speaks hope. God speaks a word of hope and a promise of something that is yet to come. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 3. So let me read just these three um, three verses to you. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because remember that's the evil one that attempted Um, Eve and attempted Adam. It says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, that may not jump out at you. It didn't at me the first time I read it, to understand, well, well what, am I, what am I reading? Where's, where's the, the beginning of the story, if you will? And there's an interesting line here in Genesis. In verse 15, it says, he, talking about the one that is to come from the woman, um, he will be the one that will come, it will be the offspring. In fact, verse, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Now, that may not jump out. It, it didn't write at me, but there's an interesting thing. If you, if you had your Bibles open, if you hear last week, I talked about this. When we talked about the sign over the cross of Jesus that was in uh, Hebrew and Aramaic and, um, and Latin. And, and in those languages that, that you had to understand, you had to look at the footnote because a lot of that isn't mentioned in the text, but it's alluded to in the footnote. Well, in the footnote here, if, if you had your Bibles open, it says between your offspring and hers, there's a, an asterisk or there's a letter or there's a number. And if you go to the bottom, you will see this in, in many of your Bibles. It would say, instead of offspring, it also reads your seed. Your seed and hers. Some translations still do that. Your seed and hers. Now that is significant. That is significant. Because this text is called, and it's known by scholars and and teachers, as the Proto-Evangelium. These two verses in Genesis are known as the Proto-Evangelium. Proto means first. 
Evangelium refers to good news or gospel. This is the first hint, this is the first introduction of the gospel in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. And we find the allusion right here in this enmity between your seed and hers. Now, this is why that's so startling. Because in ancient literature, in almost every example we find in ancient literature, when you talk about the seed, you talk about procreation, the birth of a child, and they talk about seed, they're talking about the man. The man provides seed. The woman receives it. That's how procreation happens. But here in this proto-evangelium, in this first gospel, something is found here that isn't found anywhere else, to, to my knowledge, in anything I've seen in ancient literature. It speaks of her seed. And this is an introduction. This is, this is the first, first seeds, if you will, if you'll let me play that illustration out further, of the remarkable nature of the birth of Jesus. The, 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 the promise that something is going to happen out of the ordinary. Something crazy is going to happen. And that's going to be the sign that God is fulfilling the plan that is put into motion here in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, it has all fallen apart. In Genesis 3, the evil one has won. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are exiled. The relationship is broken. It can't seem to get any worse. And in the worst moment of darkness, in the worst moment of their experience, God's at work. None of this has surprised God. He's not caught off guard by this. And even here, he puts a plan in motion that says the evil one has won the battle but will not win the war. That there is something that is going to bring redemption and restoration. And so the story of the birth of Jesus begins around the story of the birth of, of creation. And hundreds of years later, a young girl is minding her business in a, in a backwards village in Galilee called Nazareth, which nobody pays any attention to, and an angel appears. And the message of the angel Gabriel is, and let me paraphrase, um, Mary, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. And the scripture says in verse 29... One of the great understatements in all of the Bible. And Mary was greatly troubled. You think? I mean, think about it. This is, this is the nature of God when God appears. And, 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 you know, she's troubled by the appearance of, of, of the angel. Because Mary, I believe, knows something that if you study scriptures, you will find out very, very quickly. That when the angel appears, the messenger of God appears, the voice of God speaks, whatever the situation is, when that happens in the lives of men and women, life's about to take a radical change. God doesn't show up to say, hey, good news, you're going to win the lottery and coast on easy street the rest of your life. God shows up to ask crazy things, to, to intrude, to interrupt life, and to redirect the trajectories of his children. And so, you know, if, if we really study the scripture and somebody says, hey, you know what, would you like a visit from an angel? Your answer is, heck no. <laughs> visit somebody else. Because when it happens, life changes. This is what happens for Mary. She's on the path and she's a young girl. And it says the angel appears and Mary is greatly troubled. 
Because her life is about to change in ways she could never have imagined. And not ways that are going to make it easy. She's a young girl. She's not even married yet. How's she going to explain this pregnancy? How's she going to explain to Joseph? What are the neighbors going to think? This is a capital offense. It can end really, really badly. And so she is troubled. And she doesn't understand how it could even be. Because there's, there's kind of this movement. Because the angel says to her, you're going to have a child. And he will be great. And he will be the son of the most high God. And Mary then says to the angel the question we would all ask. How? I've never been with a man. I'm not married yet. So she goes from greatly troubled to greatly confused. How can this be? Because she knows, she has a knowledge of human biology. And she knows biologically it's not possible. But when the angel speaks, he makes something clear. That this isn't happening biologically. It's happening supernaturally. It is happening supernaturally. And this puts Mary in this place where she has to to make a decision. She has to decide, what is she going to trust? Because she knows on one front, this can't be happening. But in another way, it absolutely is happening. And it gets summed up by those last words that are spoken by the angel. That says, the word of God will not fail. And some of the translations have a different phrase for that. It says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary has to make a decision. Is she going to lean into that? Is she going to lean into this promise that, that, and, and this knowledge that where God shows up and God redirects, God is present. God is, 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 is shaping and moving and working in ways that are beyond what, what Mary can even begin to understand at that moment. You see, what God so often does is God shows up and, and he speaks to us and he speaks to his children and he tells us what we need to know, but not always what we want to know. You know, we, what we want to know is how does the whole story go? If I'm Mary, I want to go, hey, can you kind of give me point by point bulletin of how this entire story is going to work out? Because this seems really heavy right now. But, but God tells us what we need to know and then asks us to trust him with the rest. And that's really hard. And Mary has a split second to make that decision. So for many of us, we have time to process and we wrestle with this. Mary right there, she goes from, from troubled to confused. And in a moment, she moves. In a moment, she moves to encouraged. When the angel speaks to her, and says, nothing is impossible with God. When the angel speaks to her and says, this is God's favor, because it sure doesn't feel like a favor, but this is God's favor, she chooses to lean into that. She undoubtedly would have been familiar with the proto-evangelium of Genesis 3. She would have known the prophets of, and the words of Isaiah. And she leans into not what she knows biologically, but what she trusts spiritually. And she leans into God's promise and she says, may it be to your servant exactly according to your will. In other words, I will trust. I will put my hope in a God that I believe has a plan beyond what I can see. And that is why for us, she is such a powerful example of faith and hope and such a, a, a powerful witness to us. Of, of trusting God when the call seems crazy. Because we need that. We need that word. Because here's what, what I know. 
here's, here's what I know and what, what my years of life and years of ministry have taught me. Um, write this down. It's really, really important. Life is hard. I know. You're like, whoa, hey, no one ever told me. Thanks for sharing that pearl of knowledge. Right? You know this. Life is hard. And we, we find ourselves in moments where we are greatly troubled. Where we find ourselves troubled. And this is what happens sometimes. We go to God. And, and we, we come to God in faith. And, and we seek a word from God. And God speaks. And God doesn't speak in the way that we want God to speak. God doesn't give us the answers we're seeking. God doesn't give us the answers we want. And we go from troubled to confused. Why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why, God, are you not responding and speaking and and moving me in the ways that I want to go? Why does this seem so crazy? And for us, the question is, do we have the faith? Do we put our hope in a God who says to us, with me, all things are possible? And what doesn't seem to make sense and, and the picture that you don't have the, the full view of and the, and the details that aren't necessarily going the way you want in the midst of your, your troubledness, in the midst of your confusion, are you willing to allow me to speak the words of encouragement? Are you willing to trust that I am with you? Because I think so often for us, we stop at, at, at troubled. We stop at confused because we don't really trust God to see us through to encouraged. We don't trust God to, to, to come through for us in a way that fulfills God's plan and purpose. And so we let go of faith. We let go of hope. God's cause is, is hold on. God's call, Mary's example, is trust. That, that there's a plan and there's a purpose and God's redeeming the story or God's working in the story for the fullness of his will. And that's just, that's hard. But it's the hope that we're called to, the, 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 the things hoped for, that, that we're called to be the root, root of our faith. Do we, do we live into that? Do we, do we embrace that in those moments? Are we able to hold fast to hope when the words of God just don't seem to make a lot of sense or the path before us just doesn't seem to be going where we want it to go? Mary's moved from, from troubled and confused to encouraged. Do we? Do we? I have shared my story with some of you often enough. Tony's in my story, and, and you've heard it. Some of you know the details as, as well as I do. But, but in our lives, about 14 years ago, we found ourselves navigating troubled and confused. We found ourselves walking in a journey where things, we had thought we'd walked in faith, we had thought we would walk exactly where God had called us to, we'd gone into a ministry endeavor and a new church plant, doing exactly what we were certain God wanted us to do, and everything fell apart. And it made no sense to us. And we couldn't understand where God was in the midst of it, and and I was out of ministry, and I was doing other things, and I was never going to do this again. I was done with it. And and we, we walked... For a few years, this journey of, of confused. We walked for a few years this, this journey of troubled. But what we never did is we never let go of faith. It made no sense, and we weren't always happy. Please don't understand. I'm not lifting us up as the model of, 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 um, uh, of the embodiment of, of perfect faith. 
but, but we held on to this belief, this hope that God was doing something. And the story was not yet done. And so slowly God began to weave the experience. God began to, to redeem the story. God began to stir and to do something that we just hadn't seen coming. And some doors started to open and some avenues back into ministry came. And, and it was almost 11 years ago, 10 and a half years ago now, that, that we got a phone call. I said, hey, I think I've got a church where you need to go. It was our DS saying, I think I've got a place that would be perfect. And it was almost 10 years ago that we stepped into this worship center for the first time in ministry together. And I will tell you this. God did not send me and Tony here 10 years ago because you needed us. God sent us here because we needed you. We needed you because bringing us together became the redemption of the story, became the way in which God moved us from troubled and confused to encouraged, to see that God had never given up on us. God had never stopped weaving the experience for purpose. I, I, Joseph said to his brothers in the, in the, the Old Testament, Joseph, he, he said after they'd sold him into slavery, and he'd risen to a, a seat of power in the land of Egypt. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's what God does. He weaves things for his good if we hold on to the hope of faith. That's hard to do. And sometimes that thread's thin. But God works powerfully when we do. My challenge for us is hold fast to faith. Hold to the hope that we have in faith. We will be troubled. We will be confused. But if we allow God to work, he will bring us to a place of encouragement. If we hold fast, nothing is impossible to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for your redemption story. Thank you for your, your weaving through the fabric of our lives to bring purpose and plan and, and blessing and help us to hold fast to faith. Let that be the hope, the hope that we have in Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.